WOR, AM and FM, New York. Oh, you just bet your boots it is. You just bet your boots it is. Oh, Suzanne, played on a harmonica. What a way to sell beer. the other way when it goes into the spouts down there in Australia. You understand that? That girls curl their hair the other way down there? There's a lot of things they tell me that are different down there. Right up there down. that you just can't ignore in this life. Like a good, let's say, for example, a good loud commercial sent right into your left ear, hard and sharp. Is your car old enough to smoke? Surprising how many cars are. Is your car old enough to smoke? Surprising how many cars are. If your car's gobbling up oil, put it on a reducing diet. Just a can of Prestone Oil Miser added to your regular oil saves money. Prestone Oil Miser is just what the name says. It's a miser for saving oil. Restores lost power, quiets noisy engines, stops oil burning in any car. Get Prestone Oil Miser in the can with a handy tear-off top. Insist on Prestone Oil Miser. It helps save oil, save money, save your car. If your car's old enough to smoke, surprising how many cars are. If your car's old enough to smoke, get Prestone Oil Miser. That's wiser by far. Prestone Oil Miser is a product of Union Carbide. Ah, 
very good. If you're, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Don, would you please get, get ready up there because we've got, you know, sometimes uh, I have come to the conclusion we just don't realize what we've got. We just don't realize. You do not realize what you've got in me, for example. Every night I'm here wearing the clown hat. Every night I'm here, I've got a hold of that old that old stone, and I'm trying to squeeze the blood out of it. Just like <laughs> trying to get a few little laughs out of this life. That's all. It, you just don't understand. You don't realize what you've got. Not a bit of it. No. For all of us, special broadcast from Port Moresby, New Guinea, American member of United Nations Trusteeship Council mission visiting New Guinea, was jeered today when he told 500 Lyndon Johnson cultists on tiny New Hanover Island that President had no intention of becoming their leader. Dwight Dickinson, along with the mission's three other members, met the cultists at a remote patrol post. He told them that the United States has no intention of displacing Australia as the administering authority of New Guinea. Several spokesmen for the cult told the United Nations mission that Australia had failed to keep promises of progress, not coming up with the right stuff. They said they wanted American rule immediately, if not sooner. The Johnson cult began last year. More than 150 cultists have been jailed for refusal to pay local Australian government council taxes. Their leader is Molly Basmalik, a 20-year-old beatnik illiterate who is member of New Guinea tribe. The cultists have now already collected more than $82,800 to buy Lyndon Johnson as their leader. Very good. You see, we don't appreciate it. We got Johnson for nothing. And, uh, and here are these guys, <laughs> 42,000 miles away, are, are gathering. Uh, I can just see how they collected how they collected their poor little, uh, their poor little collect eighty-two thousand. Although that's not bad, actually, that's a pretty good down payment on a leader. And can't you see them going up and down in the local theaters there with little cans? And on comes a local movie star and says, "We all agree, Australian rule no good, rotten rule. Have feet out on promises. We now are raising funds to buy President Johnson for our leader." President Johnson does not think out on promise. Please put Kopech in can when when Usher come up and down aisle. Please do that immediately. While music play, we get ready for a Three Stooges movie, which follows immediately. Now you see why I'm going to Australia? Even the Australians are having trouble. <laughs> it's good to hear somebody yelling about somebody else once, isn't it? Once in the great, you know. Uh, speaking of that, uh, and as long as uh, we're talking about yelling, it, it is a fact that um, sometimes you just don't understand nor appreciate what you've got. 
Uh, I've been getting uh, many overwhelming... Good morning, Charlie. I've been getting many overwhelming re uh, requests for me to play, once again, my Jewish harp. Now, for those of you who have an anti-Jewish harp feeling, who do not like good, solid, American, basic music uh, that is pure Jewish harp in a yard wide, I suggest you go down to the dial where they're playing some nice Henry Mancini thing. In the meantime, would you please? Already all set. Chinatown, here it comes. Let's go, gang. <laughs> I shouldn't tell you. Do you want to hear an army story uh, about about the Jews' harp? About the only time that I, I uh, ever actually played an instrument in the army was the time that I played a Jews' harp in the army. In fact, I have a couple of uh, embarrassing army stories that I know I have never told, and one of them has to do with a very peculiar experience relating and related to the embarrassment of having a major general look over my shoulder at a crucial and most embarrassing time. Do you? <laughs> you don't want to hear about that, do you? I could. Uh, you know, I get. It's funny. I get more letters from people. What is this in the way? Isn't it? There. How's that? Is that better? I get more letters from people. Whenever you mention the two things that I that that I can mention on the air that causes a tremendous amount of uh, interest among people. One is radio, 
Now, I'm not talking about commercial radio, the kind of radio you're listening to, but amateur radio. I cannot understand why so many people who are not involved in ham radio have so much interest in it. Have you noticed that, Don? There's a terrific interest in it. That and the Army. And I can tell you a story that in a, in a very peculiar way combined both of them. Uh, in fact, uh, it, speaking of... Uh, Armies and uh, that peculiar ennui that is created by this is WOR, AM and FM New York. And uh, we might as well get the commercials out of the way before we get into the stories. Let's see what we have here. China, China, Chinatown. This week, TV Guide covers the quiet man from Uncle actor David McCollum. He's won a unique place in the hearts of American womanhood, and he's not at all sure he likes it. Well, that's one of those problems that you find all over the place these days. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Did you read Russell Baker yesterday in the Times on Harper's Bazaar and this current problem? Oh, yes, I know. I know, baby. An interesting profile. I'm sure they tell all the whole story. In the same issue, TV Guide explores the uneasy truths that once existed between a brash young medium, television, and a brash old humorist, Fred Allen. The late comedian's letters make amusing reading. How is television beginning to cash in on Fred Allen, the one guy who hated television with a purple passion? People, don't... <laughs> Fred Allen... <laughs> Fred Allen led the fight... <laughs> against television. He thought TV was the worst thing to come along <laughs> since flat seltzer water. I'll tell you, he really hated it. In fact, one night, I, did I ever tell you about the time I, I ran into Fred Allen? Uh, yeah, it was on the BG. It was at the BG up there on uh, Broadway. You know, there at around 54th, right by the Winter Garden. And it almost have been 3 o'clock in the morning. And I was sitting there. I hadn't been in town more than a year or so. And uh, I was in that drifting around stage, you know, and, and you drift around three, four, five o'clock in the morning, and you're uh, in this coffee shop and out that one, and in this one-arm restaurant and out, and I was drinking the coconut juice on Times Square and making that whole scene. And uh, I had gotten to know about 5,000 of these these people, the, the peculiar type of Broadway character that never really entered uh, the world of Damon Runyon. I'm not talking about the sporting uh, Times Square Denison. I'm talking more about the showbiz Times Square Denison. You know, speaking of that, uh, for those of you who don't live in New York and you, you like to hear an occasional bit of New Yorkiana, I had a great moment tonight. I get in a cab on Times Square. Now, it was 6.30 at night, and there were 87 million people all over uh, Times Square. The place was teeming. You know, everybody was uh, rushing into the subways and so on. I get in this cab, and this cab driver must have been about, oh, I'd say he was probably in his mid-70s. So although it's hard to tell with some of these cab drivers. You know, they're wearing the big Mackinac jacket, and uh, they've, they've got gray hair sort of cut in a crew cut, and they're tough and hard and gnarled. They've been driving cabs since, tense, since Texas Guinan was selling brownie Girl Scout cookies, you know. And uh, <laughs> this guy sitting on the front seat, and I get in the cab. And I slide into the back, just, you know, real quick, the, the, the door closes, and all of a sudden he looks out of his window, and he sticks his head all the way out. He just, uh, all I could see was his shoulder. He, sticks out, he hollers, hey, yeah! Hey, yeah! And I see this Christ hollering into this crowd. And of course, there's about 87 million people. It's right at the intersection of 42nd and, and Broadway. And he's hollering, hey, yeah! Hey, yeah! What 
are you doing around here, Al? What are you doing around Times Square? Oh, come on, Al. This ain't no place for a horse player. You're a horse player. What are you doing here? <laughs> well, he pulls his head in, and I said, I said, so old Al's a horse player, huh? He said, oh, what a horse player that guy is. Let me tell you, that guy... That guy has not seen the light of day except to see it over aqueduct since he was eight years old. That guy, <laughs> that guy is strictly a horse player. He want to tell you, he, he, uh, he, all he does is work to play the horses. That's the only reason he works. He plays the horses, and let me tell you, he's going to die happy. Now, that was, that was a New York moment. You'll never find a, a moment like that in Cincinnati. And for the next 15 minutes, he talked about the various fortunes, lives, and misfortunes of horse players of one kind. And I said, I said, well, you know, the trouble with most horse players I know, they got no time for anything else. They hardly ever do anything else. He said, oh, not Al. Let me tell you, Al had plenty of fun, boy, in his day. Let me tell you, I used to take him to some very interesting places in my cab. All Al. <laughs> Al, a horse player. Well, one night, I am sitting in, in the BG when in came Fred Allen. And uh, Fred Allen, we were the only two guys in, in the place. And Fred Allen sat opposite me, and I sat opposite Allen. <laughs> we sat there for a minute drinking the coffee. And Allen, Allen looked up, and I looked up at Allen, and we both sort of sat there for a minute. It was about 3 or 4 o'clock, and a terrible time of the morning, see. And Allen said, And we're two grown-up men. And I said, yes, that's right. He said, here we are drinking coffee at this hour in the BG on Broadway. When are we going to grow up? <laughs> I, says, I, <laughs> I said, I said, uh, I presume you're Fred Allen. He said, yep. And, uh, I said, well, uh, I don't know, Fred, when are we going to grow up? He said, I never, can't figure that one out myself. He says, there's some that do and some that don't. He says, not only that, they've got a bottomless cup here. And with that, they brought him another cup of coffee. And we sat for all, oh, must have been a half an hour. And it was later that I found out that he was a listener. We, uh, you, uh, that, that uh, I got a letter from uh, his wife uh, after he died, as a matter of fact, talking about the fact that he was a listener. But I can tell you this, that, that the TV people connecting themselves up with Fred Allen, that's a laugh. Believe me, that's like Hitler becoming a rabbi. It just ain't going to work, you know? <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> boy. Uh, but here we've got, uh, if you want to find out how they do it, I imagine that's pretty interesting flip-flop. You can uh, buy a copy of TV Guide. I'm going to go out and get one myself to see how they manage that one. Now, uh, let's see what else we've got. American Heritage, speaking of magazines, if you have not tried American Heritage, I would suggest you put a buck in an envelope and address it to American Heritage, Box 711, Great Neck, New York. And they'll send you a copy of this magazine, and I think you'll find it interesting. You know, uh, it's funny, uh, sitting here thinking about uh, Fred Allen and radio and all the rest. Fred Allen also wrote that. You know, in, in this, I have a, a copy of Fred Allen's letters, and I, I, I couldn't agree more. They are some of the funniest things I've ever read. They're funnier than Allen's show ever was, Don. Really funny. And one thing he says in this in this uh, this. Uh, collection of letters. They were letters written to people all over the country. One thing he says is very interesting to me as a radio performer, a guy who's in the same business, more or less, that Alan was in. Uh, he said he, he was writing to somebody who was interested in a radio career, and this was back in the 30s uh, sometime when he wrote it, this letter. 
And he, he was saying, look, he said, you know, he says, you can be on the radio. He says, forget going on the radio if you ever want to have anybody take you seriously. He said, uh, the people in show business of all kind, the people in the movie and in the theater, he says, they will be applauded for very little. But in radio, he said, week after week, you can turn out a great script. You can turn out sketches after sketches after sketches. And you're just that funny guy that comes on on Thursday night. And uh, I read that, and I thought, you know, it's funny. Even in those days, there was very little, very little different from the day of now. And in fact, uh, that's been one of the primary problems with the medium. But whenever you find uh, yourself talking about radio, there's all kinds of people. They perk their ears up. Because the radio is one instrument that we all have. Do you know that, that almost 100% Americans own a radio? It's the only... It's, uh, you can't say that for can openers. You can't say that for, for, uh, for, for bathtubs. There are more people who own radio in this country than who own bathtubs and inside toilets. It's a fact. It's a higher percentage. Uh, it's a, and yet, very few people know anything about how it works, this little thing they've got in their hand.